Welcome to Lessons from Sweet Valley, the podcast where we re-examine the Sweet Valley High series one book at a time and determine what lessons, if any, we can learn from them. My name is Kat Thomas, and today we are discussing Book 7, Dear Sister. My guest today comes from us from the western suburbs of Chicago, where he is a fifth grade teacher, but more importantly, he is my brother-in-law. Please welcome Andrew Johnson. Howdy, everybody. So we are not in the same location at the moment. Yeah, it's like a Sweet Valley High lockdown edition. Exactly. I don't know if that's politically correct or not, so sorry about that, Kat. I mean, I think it's accurate to the situation that is uh, going on right now. Yeah, so it was a good thing I had some good reading material on hand during this time. Well, I'm so happy that you that you came yeah. on. And I guess I should say, well, d- this introduce you more. You are the husband of episode two guest, Marie Johnson. Yeah, she was My, a great guest. Yes. Yeah, she was great. And uh, how long have you guys been married? Uh, nine years. Nine years. Amazing. And you recently celebrated a milestone birthday, I understand. Yeah, I turned 39 plus one. That was exciting. <laughs> Very cool. And yeah, um, very what a fun. great way to kick off your 40s and uh, coming on to <laughs> Sweet Valley High podcast. Um, you noticed something about the book that you texted me about right away before you even started. This is the first time in the Sweet mm. Valley series that there is a dedication page. Yeah, I'm a big cooking guy. And so I noticed it said to Alexandra Gunnarshelly or Gornishelly. I don't know how you pronounce it exactly. And I knew that sounded like the uh, the chef from Chop. So I looked it up and did a little research and found out, yes, um, the author, Francis Pascal, or Francine Pascal, and her were neighbors in, I believe, New York. I did the old classic Google keyword search. And I just typed in both their names and then tried to find some sort of association. And then, I, yeah, I found uh, an excerpt from her cookbook. Yeah, I actually, I have that because I thought it was so interesting. It's the recipe for warm bar nuts. And Delicious. And the uh, the paragraph is, she says, I know it's hard to believe I had close neighbors when I was growing up in bustling and impersonal midtown Manhattan, but I did. My neighbor, Francine Pascal, author of the famous Sweet Valley High book series, had an amazing apartment and put out the kinds of snacks I wished we would eat at home. She always had a bowl of nuts, some shelled and some not crunchy Brazil nuts coated with salt and hazelnuts and walnuts in the shell. I love the textures, the taste of the nuts and their skins. This is my adult interpretation of that childhood memory. And she goes on for her recipe for warm bar nuts. I thought that was just so fascinating. (laughs) Would you, if you were someone, would you want to have a Sweet Valley High book dedicated to you? Uh, Not this one. (laughs) (laughs) I was struggling with trying to find someone to ask to do this book in particular because it's probably one of the the ones Mm -hmm. that has a true kind of to be continued and just to recap what happened in the last book at the end Todd had gotten this motorcycle and Elizabeth wasn't allowed to ride it and eventually Todd was going to sell the motorcycle and they were at a party together and she was supposed to get a ride from Jessica and Jessica had ditched her And so she was like, well, I guess if Todd's going to sell the motorcycle anyway, I guess this one getting a ride from him this one time won't hurt. She didn't have a helmet and they got hit by a van. And the last book ended with Elizabeth in a coma. So I was like, okay, this next book is going to be really depressing. It's going to be Elizabeth in the coma the whole time. I mean, you look at the cover of this book 
it's Jessica holding a framed picture, a framed black and white picture of Elizabeth. It's like, yeah. is she at the funeral? And then the tagline is, can Jessica face life without Elizabeth? Which sounds very serious. And so, you know, when I was worrying about who I was going to ask, and I think I was at, you know, my parents' house, and you were there, and you basically were like, I'll do it. And it was so nice of you to volunteer to do this. Yeah, I, I like that you gave me this book. This was kind of like, uh, it was like watching a Lifetime movie. It, was, it These are very Lifetime movie type plot lines for sure. Can you, Drew, read the summary at the back just to kind of kick us off on this journey? Yeah, do I do it like in a certain type of voice or how, how do you want to do this? <laughs> you could just read it in your normal voice. Okay. Right. Your teacher yeah. voice. Do it. Well, <laughs> depending on who I'm reading to. Dear sister, a senseless tragedy. Sweet Valley is stunned by the news. Beautiful young Elizabeth Wakefield lies in a coma on the brink of death after a horrible motorcycle accident. Pause for effect. Elizabeth's boyfriend, Todd, is consumed by guilt. He was driving and escaped, and escaped unharmed. He feels totally helpless. All he can do is wait for a change in Elizabeth's condition, a change that might mean the loss of the only girl he's ever loved. Pause for effect. But no one is more shattered than Elizabeth's twin, Jessica. As she keeps watching over the silent body of her sister, she's overwhelmed by despair. Without Elizabeth, can life go on? Thank you, Drew. Now, I just got to say, I feel very bamboozled by Francine. <laughs> and So that's where I was going to go to, yes. Yes, please. T- share your impressions of this. Well, I mean, basically what I think you're alluding to, because I don't know the exact page number. I do. I do. Is it six, seven? <laughs> I think it's see. 12. It's page 12. 12. The end of chapter one, page yeah. 12. <laughs> yes, 12 out of 150. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing is this whole setup, which I guess, you know, is smart on the author's part, you know, because you have to have a summary. And obviously me being a fifth grade teacher, one of the things I talk about is, you know, you want the summary to be enticing enough to get the person into the story, but you don't want to give too much away because it kind of defeats it for them. So technically the summary is not lying, but yes, it did not cover. (laughs) It's basically a summary of the first chapter of the book. Yes. Yeah, we find out pretty quickly that things with Elizabeth after she wakes up are a little bit off. And I think the first thing is Jessica brings her some clothes at the hospital to wear and Elizabeth is just freaking out by how how she looks. Yeah, and so for me, that kind of seemed like the foreshadowing tipping point of how this was going to go. And it kind of set the tone too for what Jessica's role in the story was going to be. Yeah, like Jessica's the one who's trying to kind of encourage, like, she's like, you look great, you look great. And and Elizabeth is like, I look so hideous. You said, wouldn't you cry if you looked like me? <laughs> if I look you, Liz, I do look like you. We're twins, remember? <laughs> it's a throwback to the very first scene of this entire series where Jessica is literally doing the exact same thing to Elizabeth. Really? In front of a mirror. I don't know if that was intentional, but I really appreciated that. And, and again, I think that's what makes it interesting because this is the only book I've read of the series. And even that alone stood out to me, you know, for me to document that. So the fact that it had nostalgia for you and just interesting for me. So, yeah. yeah. Another thing that has seemed to change with Elizabeth is that she does not want to see Todd, her boyfriend. He comes no. to the hospital and she's like, 
send him away. I don't want to see him. And, you know, Jessica's kind of left to be the, the messenger in that case and kind of tell Todd that Elizabeth doesn't want to see him. And then, but then there's this moment where Todd's walking away or either Jessica's walking away and then she sees Elizabeth flirting with the doctor, kind of being all like laughing and flirting. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt bad for poor Todd, you know, so like the whole book, half of me felt bad for him. The other half was thinking, okay, is this setting up where him and Jessica are now going to be an item by the end of the book? So I was like, didn't know if I was having hope for him or I just felt, you know, overall despair for this guy. Yeah, because Elizabeth, the whole, the general thing that happened to Elizabeth is basically she has kind of been transformed into this boy crazy robot. That's kind of how I was looking at her. And that's basically Jessica, sort of. She's basically been transformed into Jessica, maybe even a little bit more in an extreme form. But she's basically so single-minded, except for Todd. Tachi has no interest in and doesn't even want to really be around. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting because, you know, she's so boy crazy. But I mean, from what it seemed like, Todd was one of those popular athlete kind of guys. So it was kind of interesting that, you know, if she obviously didn't know who she was. To me, he was just another neutral person in the story for her mindset. And yet, for some reason, yeah, she was very negative to him, but obviously not to any other guy. I mean, I guess... Jessica, if she is kind of Jessica's personality, Jessica always thought Todd was kind of a dud. Or the part of me that wants to believe there's some depth to this believes that even though Elizabeth was this different person, maybe she did still have some anger from the accident. Or because, you know, Todd was blaming himself. Jessica was blaming herself because she had not been there to give Elizabeth a ride. So they kind of were... Jessica and Todd were kind of bonded in their guilt, I think, and then like their shame for thinking that they were responsible for how Elizabeth was acting. Yeah, and it was, you know, this book being older, you know, because I, I coached sports for a long time. So concussions are always things that I always think about. And so it's like, is there a concussion thing going on? And they just don't know how to write it into the book? Or is this just supposed to be some mysterious thing that she was dealing with? So yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what her mindset was, but also... Like you were trying to diagnose Elizabeth's personality change? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, is this going to be something that gets revealed? But they probably don't even use the word concussion back then like that. So (laughs) it's part Lifetime movie, but part also kind of deep. So I just didn't know if this was part of the Lifetime movie part or like the depth of medical diagnosis. I love it. A lot of most of this book was from Jessica's perspective, which is sort of different than the other books. You know, sometimes we get a split of the two, but this one was a lot of Jessica. And I was wondering what your feelings about Jessica while she was kind of going through all this with her sister. Like in fifth grade, that's one of the things that we talk about is like third person limited, omniscient or omniscient, however we pronounce it, an objective. And so I always weigh the pros and cons of certain stories and how they should be written you know, for the emotional depiction of certain characters. So to kind of answer your question, I like that it was limited more in the perspective of Jessica because they were trying to portray Elizabeth as this narrow, single-minded person. I don't think having her emotional disclosure, I don't think that would have played into the story as much. You would have kind of felt more empathy for her. And it just, I don't, know, I don't think it would have made it as 
interesting and intriguing as to you know where she's going to end up. Yeah, I agree. It, it was she was like a robot, and I kind of love that. I just kind of love that she just became this. Where are the boys? I need to find them. And like zero in on them, and it's just like Meow. so. <laughs> she wants to have a pool party. She suggests to Jessica that they have like a pool party at their house, and she only wants to invite the guys. <laughs> And Elizabeth wears like a very revealing bathing suit and all the guys are like huddled around her. It was just such a funny description. It's like these guys are like in a huddle and Elizabeth is in the center. And I'm just like, what is this? What's happening? Like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. (laughs) And I just love this alliance of Jessica and Todd. And they're just standing there with their arms crossed, just like looking at this and just being like, what is happening right now? Yeah, it, it's, it is kind of funny to see that little bonding going on. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that whole baggage of guilt played into that where it's like when somebody's gone through something like that, you just don't want to overstep that boundary. So I, I did think that was interesting. What did you think about the parents? <laughs> Good old Ned and Alice. I mean, if there's a lesson to be learned as a parent, you know, I have three kids, um, is <laughs> know your kids a little bit better. <laughs> You're saying you would maybe notice if two of your sons completely switched personalities overnight? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Ned and Alice do not seem to notice that anything is different. There wasn't a lot of conversation about what was really going on with the family. And I got to say, one of my favorite parts of this book as this little side story that we had with these two twins, the Percy twins. So <laughs> I just loved them so much. Basically, these family friends went out of town and they have twin girls who are like 12 and the Wakefields are going to watch them while the parents are out of town. And I feel like the way that these two girls are described was like the the girl from The Ring. That's like, exactly. Like Morticia or uh, Wednesday Adams. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, it was this whole thing about how Jessica and Elizabeth, who was going to watch them one night, and Elizabeth kind of just disappeared and left Jessica with these twins while she was going to go out on a date with a guy at the, drive, the drive-in, and and then the twins ended up going with them, and, and Jessica came back and she was just, like, furious. There's this great scene where she's just, like, fuming around and throwing pillows. I want to find it, because I got to say, I got a lot of, like pleasure watching Jessica get a taste of her own medicine because she's always pulling this stuff with other people. And that's what I thought, like, you know, as a neutral reader, as I'll call myself in this, like I could tell that that was, you know, for the the person who is the following reader there, I think that would have been very fun to be a part of is yes. It's karma kind of thing. So nice. But yeah, those two Jean and Joan, I thought they were a good, (laughs) I thought it was very random, obviously. It was totally random. Just insert two twins that um, are just dropped off for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> when Jessica gets home from the drive-in, she's just talking to her parents. And I feel like she's just like exploding. And she's just like, okay, for starters, mom, those two little people who just went upstairs are not what they seem to be. Oh boy, they are not what you think they are. <laughs> Jessica was just getting warmed up when her father interrupted her. She's like, Jessica, those girls are her guests. They are sweet, shy, and quiet. It's up to us to make them feel wanted and comfortable in our home. Jessica was too frustrated and angry to pay attention to any danger signals. Sweet, shy, quiet. 
Those two little jerks are about as quiet as a disco on Saturday night. They did nothing but talk and eat from the time we left this house. And she just goes on and on and on and on. Jessica stormed around the room, picking up pillows, tossing them down, stamping her feet, basically having a tantrum. <laughs> just like, <laughs> thought that was so funny. And then at the end, she's like, Liz is ruining my life. And then they're like, what has Liz got to do with it? And then she's like, well, practically nothing really. You know, and then she kind of takes it back a little bit. So she never quite expresses to her parents her her frustration with what's going on. Because yeah, I think, yeah, she feels that guilt. And I think she just doesn't feel like going there. Um, when again, I'm, I'm looking on the same page where it's like, it says, grinning broadly, Ned Wakefield walked over to her. I do believe you just discovered one of the great truths of the world. I'm proud of you. So again, just how, how little observant they are. Yes, yeah, Their emotions and frustrations and... Kind of like it seems like Jessica and Elizabeth have to fend for themselves with each other and venting and problem solving. So I thought uh, springing these two kids upon them was great because it it seemed like this book, I don't know how book eight will look, but it seemed like it forced Jessica to grow up a lot. I I don't know if that changes after this book. but Yeah, but I think my favorite part of this whole book was when Jessica has to take these twins to this flute audition. Yeah, I thought that was great. It was so funny. (laughs) Jessica's trying to get to this date with Danny at the beach and she's stuck with having to take these kids to a flute audition and she's like how long is this going to take and they're like well the audition takes like five or ten minutes and you just know that like okay the audition (laughs) put in perspective this was pre-cell phones and things like that so you you know when it says she's there for five eight hours or whatever it was you could just sense how mad she probably was because she get on the phone and do whatever. I mean, she had to just seethe and pace. and Yes. You felt this like energy coming from her. I could just see it. And it just made me laugh so much. I was like, yes, Jessica. So, and then she gets to the beach and then she gets, well, she gets pulled over on the way to the beach because she's speeding. And then she gets an offender bender. (laughs) This is amazing. I mean, you know, my thought is that they must, you know, in the books leading up to this, she must have been portrayed just awfully, you know, uh, because yeah. like the author was really trying to pile it on and really get you thinking about her and, and maybe getting some empathy going towards her as they, you know, transition to the next. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to be kind of a constant thing where they kind of have to even it out every once in a while to make Jessica a somewhat likable person so you're not just completely disgusted or you know you want to kind of like both the twins in a certain way yeah you got to keep your audience broad enough you know yeah otherwise it's just going to be certain kids are for it and certain kids against it yeah we are introduced to a new character in this book actually that we've never uh heard about before coach horner who's todd's coach because todd is he's playing a basketball game and then he's so distracted, he's just not doing well. And then his own yeah. team starts to boo him. Is that Does that happen, Drew? No, so that's where I started thinking, okay, good intentions with trying to put the sports references in, but I think that the coach would have benched him a long time before. <laughs> was like, if I was sure coaching this warm-up kid. warm-up looked bad, so, yeah. Oh, because then I think, doesn't Todd end up punching someone in the face? The huge guy, the, the big center, that was probably not a good idea. Yeah, so... Todd's talking to the coach and the coach says, cause he's talking about how Elizabeth is having some problems and the coach says, from what I hear, Elizabeth's a fine girl, but I think she has problems right now. Todd Wilkins looked at the coach for the first time. You think so? 
yes, I do, Todd, you acted very out of character. And that's why I knew something was very wrong. If that girl is acting out of character, something's got to be wrong there, too. I was like, that's uh, something is wrong. Yeah. You know, when you really when you step back and think about it, like that somebody's personality completely changes like that. And every single person around her is in this path of this tornado. It's just kind of interesting how much everything is being shrugged off by. Yeah. And I feel like the adults, the teachers, the coaches, if it might just be me, but I feel like they made them all these like young people. Yeah. <laughs> Picture these like 26 year old teachers. You know, I think at one point they referred, one of them referred to them as like their friend. Yes. Yes. I don't remember how many friend teachers. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting. So you thought the teachers in this book were not given the best portrayal. Yeah, and I don't know if that just also kind of goes with, you know, how Ned and Alice are, too. No adult was really held in the highest regard other than which teacher was good looking or whatever. (laughs) Right. No one really seemed that concerned. It was just kind of like, there's something wrong. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. Yeah, right. (laughs) It was strange. It was strange. Probably the part where I, like, gasped in the book was when Jessica and Todd were sitting on the porch of Jessica's house waiting for Elizabeth. And you hear the sound of a motorcycle, and it starts to pull up. And Elizabeth is not only on the motorcycle, she's driving the motorcycle. Yeah, that's when I thought we've definitely gone over the edge here. I was like, oh, no. Shame on you. Shame on you, Elizabeth. Yeah, I was just like, oh, my gosh. It's, well, yeah. they, you know, they, they they conveniently put Todd and Jessica on the front step as if, a, you know, it's like a mom and dad. Like, yeah. lady. I loved it. And then she just goes off. She's like, I'll see you later. Bye. So that Elizabeth clearly has become someone else. And that is kind of how we go into this final. There is a party. This and now this is this is another very yeah, confusing. This, this is where I said enough is enough. This, for teenage audiences. So there's a party at Lila Fowler's house. It's called a pickup party. It says Lila never gave a party without a theme, and this time she had combined two of her old favorites. The kids were told to come in costume and without a date to a pickup party. Everybody came single and picked up whoever they could. A lot of girls at Sweet Valley who thought they were going steady found themselves without boyfriends after one of Lila's pickup bashes. And a lot of girls who wanted to get rid of guys did so the same night. This was was when I thought this book went from Saved by the Bell to American Pie. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, like, I see when I was reading that, Drew, you were just like, you were just shaking your head back Again, I'm just thinking of like a young teenage audience. And so, wow, that's. Is this just this party is like an excuse to dump your girlfriend and or boyfriend? And then I, or is it like a hall pass night? It was yeah, all the pass. <laughs> It was just so weird. It was weird. Um, yeah. Of course. Elizabeth goes to the party and she's in her normal Elizabeth form. And I feel like drinking is really explored in this more than other uh, books so far. Like they really did get into the drinking more. I don't think the twins had ever been drunk before this book. And Elizabeth clearly was very intoxicated. And then who comes in but 
our good old friend, Bruce Patman. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> now is Bruce, is he like the, the resident sleazeball that comes in other books too? Yes. Bruce is just a huge jerk. But Elizabeth, you know, because she's like the robot, the boy crazy robot, beelined it to Bruce. And she's all over Bruce. And Bruce is like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, uh, I mean, it sounded like he had a really nice car. So I don't blame her in that aspect. It sounds <laughs> Porsche is really nice. Totally kidding. I don't know if you pick up sarcasm on podcasts very well. You can um, pick it up. You can pick it up. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> but it, and it made it interesting because I didn't understand. I didn't know that these books were all kind of like connected. So him being put in this role so late in the book made me kind of yeah. Like, we're getting closer to the end here, but like this is now happening. Like how are they going to wrap this up? It, it was a very big uh, dramatic uh, finish to the book. I know. As as I was going through, I'm like. I'm like, we have like five pages to go. And Elizabeth is like still acting like Jessica. <laughs> I'm like, what is yeah. happening? So yeah. basically, Bruce has some, I mean, there's just a bunch of terrible lines about Bruce. Like there's this one where, you know, they were making out in a car or something. And he's like, for the 20th time that night, Bruce Patman wondered how he had gotten so lucky. Elizabeth Wakefield was about to melt in his arms. It would just take a little more to drink and a, just a little more time. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. It's like, this is where I went from in this book. Now it's like Bruce Patman isn't just a jerk. He's like dangerous. He, I was forward projecting. He is, this gonna, he is a CEO of a company who has hopefully been brought down by the Me Too movement right now. Oh, my God. These are the people who grew up thinking that this was okay and that it's always okay. Yeah, he's, he's definitely the guy that in every book or, or movie that you are just rooting against, you know? Yeah. And this, I feel like they really got more clear about, like, this guy is basically taking advantage of these women when they're drunk or basically against their will. And, and Elizabeth goes over to Bruce's parents' house and they're, like, having, you know, whatever. Things are going down. And then he's like, I'm going to go get some wine this is like five pages from the end i swear yeah <laughs> and then of course the classic thing happens where elizabeth falls somehow hits her head and all of a sudden she's back to normal again yeah and it was interesting because the way it happened with her being so i guess drunk you know i guess she was pretty drunk at this time it, you know you were going back and forth wondering like okay did the author just write in that a bump in her head put her back to normal or that she was so drunk and didn't know where she was. So it was Yeah. When she kind of, after she hits her head, she is like, what am I doing here? Who are you? Like, why? And then Bruce basically tries to like attack her, you know? Yeah, that was And that like, was that was, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And she kind of tells him off and runs out and runs into Todd's arms. And, and he's like, you're back. I know you're back. Yeah. And it was, you know, for her fighting him off and then going to Todd within that one or two pages right there just completely puts you right back into rooting for Elizabeth out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. She lets Bruce have it. She says before she leaves, I never really knew what a coward you were until now, she cried. Is that what all your big love stories are about, Patman? Taking advantage of girls who are either who either don't know what they're doing or are too drunk to care. I don't know anybody lower than you are at this minute. And listen, you want to tell this story over, go ahead, because I'm the one, because I've got one to tell to. Um yeah. So, I mean, Bruce Patman is a total scary person. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. I'm out on Bruce right now. So we'll see what happens with him. But yeah. And did you get the impression that Elizabeth doesn't remember anything now that had that happened? 
Like, yeah, I mean, especially because, in, you know, like when, when Todd had mentioned, you know, I'm here for you or whatever. And basically where she was confused as to why she was against him, that made you definitely believe that, okay, she hasn't, like, again, I don't know what it's going to look like. So I don't know if, like, in the next book she's going to realize she's no longer part of this newspaper. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. All of her grades are low. She's like, what happened? You know, I don't know. You're right. That's another thing that yeah, we didn't really touch on. Elizabeth grades were getting lower and she got kicked out of the newspaper because – she used kind of her column to try to get this guy to to date her or whatever. But Damn yeah, this. so that's that's a good point. That's a very practical question. Is she gonna like come out of that where like, oh my gosh, my grades are lower? I hope that they address that. I think that would be interesting. But I don't know. I'm worried that they're just gonna gloss over it. Well, they probably will because I don't. I don't. Ned and Alice don't seem to know, so I don't think they need to really backtrack too much. <laughs> yeah, they're like Elizabeth. Why is your report oh. card all D's oh. on it? Oh, when did things change? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, and, you know, just the foreshadowing is in this book is, it was just, once again, thrown in there, kind of the, like, the Bruce thing where Jessica goes on a date with this guy, Bill Chase, who, there was a really weird scene with Bill and Todd where, Bill was like, I'm so sorry you and Elizabeth aren't getting along. She's acting really rotten. And Todd's like, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, if you don't mind, Todd, would you mind if I asked her out? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was what? Like, this guy reminds me of Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like, or like Keanu Reeves in Point Break or something. But yeah, uh, um, yeah very, very interesting conversation between uh, Todd and him. And then Jessica goes on a date with him instead because Elizabeth is with Bruce Patman and she's, she basically bait and switch. It's bait and switch. And then she's kind of teasing, trying to get him to say how much he loved, or he's like, I love you, Elizabeth. And she's like, you don't love Elizabeth. You love Jessica. And yeah, I couldn't tell if she would, you know, cause it kept mentioning how she wanted to get revenge on him. But yeah. then it also made you wonder though, like, is she deep down wanting him to say good things. I don't know. I couldn't tell what she was trying to do. If she was trying to get revenge or if she was trying to get him to show that she likes who this person is because she's now Elizabeth's personality. So she wants to, you know, have that feeling that somebody enjoys her personality. I I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. It was weird. weird. And I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, so it basically ended and she's like, I'm not. Elizabeth, or I think that's how it ended. I don't even. It says, "Oh, uh, yes, you guys." I love you, and not my sister. All right, do you have to do this part? No, you go. You go. I don't want to steal your thunder. Don't you can steal it. Okay, says I love you, and not my sister. No, never. I couldn't possibly love anyone but you. What's so special about me, Bill? Your smell, your warmth, the sound of your voice, the touch of your lips, the feel of you in my arms. I've never been sure of anything in my life. Jessica smiled. Then you do love Jessica Wakefield, Bill, because that's who I am. Ooh, busted. Teaser. (laughs) Teaser alert for the next book. I mean, I guess if that's what he likes about her, then that, you know, but he's like, I've admired her from afar. It's like, obviously he's been looking at her for, uh, whatever. I'm not even going to try to understand this whole Bill thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, setting up for the next book because otherwise, I was thinking that was the most randomly thrown in subplot at the end. I don't know. Yeah. Anything else before we get to our lessons? Oh, I have one thing that I thought was so interesting. I don't know. This is just me trying to trying to look for the depth. So Lila 
Fowler, who's Jessica's best friend, at one point, she says, she's like confronting Jessica about how Elizabeth is flirting with her boyfriend. And Jessica's like, what? And Lila says, don't act innocent with me, Lila said. Your dear sister seems to think she can date Tim behind my back. And so I was like, okay, so that's when they use the title, dear sister. And then I started to think about, you know, so they, they did kind of trick us with, this book about what you think it's about, but you can kind of apply it to also what actually happened with Elizabeth. She did lose Elizabeth. Like can Jessica face life without Elizabeth? I mean, that is kind of what did happen, you know? And, and I just like dear sister, you think it's like dear sister. But then in the book, when it's that is actually said, it's like your dear sister, you know? Yeah, because it didn't say, can Jessica face life without her sister? Because that's just a general term. Yeah. It always said without Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, With Elizabeth, you know, comes that trust, non-judgment, you know, all that kind of stuff that it seems like Elizabeth was before this, you know, episode. So I do think that makes a lot of sense that that's maybe the clever part of why that was worded that way. And I have no idea if that was part of it, but I liked this idea of how they kind of tricked us into thinking it was going to be something else. And it wasn't, I got to say, this was one of my favorite ones I've read so far. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I have no <laughs> idea what the other ones are like, but I, I was definitely not, you know, it was fun reading this aloud to my six year old. I mean, he really got into it. too. <laughs> um, totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, but uh, no, I, I actually enjoyed this book. I really, I don't think I'll just for my pleasure, read the whole series. I think that was <laughs> what, weird. How? But I, I really, I, I did not mind this. I, I appreciated the humor in this one. I appreciated Jessica getting what she deserved. But I'm happy Elizabeth is back. But I did like, I kind of liked the boy, the robot, boy crazy robot version of Elizabeth too, a little bit. So now is the time that we talk about our lessons. You kind of already touched on one a little bit about the parents. But was there anything else that, that you can take away from this book? Uh, I mean, I think try not to um, get girls too drunk and, and try to corner them into a bedroom. I think that's a good life lesson for ah. guys. Um, I think good one uh, to teach for, the, teach the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think they should learn that in early age. Yeah. Um, I thought Todd, you know, good lesson, you know, from Todd there, just being persistent. If you know, you're trying to do the right thing, not overdoing it. You know, there was times where he knew his boundaries where he said, you know, I can't force her to do that, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, never gave up on her and it wasn't just out of like lust or anything like that it seemed like he just genuinely cared about her um so I really thought that was a great lesson and how to kind of be there for somebody who's mm. going through such a lifetime traumatic experiment uh, experience like that but you know we do a lot of uh social emotional learning lessons in school um it's kind of like the, the new thing now which I think is definitely a good idea um and I think he would have been a great character to put into a lesson on, on how to to really be there for somebody to get really deep on you there, Kat. That's real deep. I don't know, but I like what you said about that. No, that we didn't really talk about Todd in that way too much. And I think that's a really good point. He wasn't overly pushy. He just, he was there and um, he let her have her space when she basically was demanding it. But he was there for her when, when she came back. And yeah, he came off pretty good. Todd had a good, this is a good one for Todd. He yeah, needed he it after it. last one when he oh, well, put her on that true. motorcycle without a helmet. Come on, Todd. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> but no, that's he true. redeemed himself a little bit. 
Good job, Todd. Yes, exactly. Those are good lessons, Drew. Mine for this one, for some reason, I couldn't really think of one. And then I just went with, don't judge a book by its cover or its tagline or its summary. (laughs) I know. I think that's a good one, too. I mean, it was like whenever like my kids would come into the room and they're like, oh, you know, what are you reading? I would just show the cover. This. Were they like, what's that about? I think the don't judge a book by its covers is good just because it's kind of literal and figurative in this context. Yes. Yes. Drew, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This has been real, Kath. This has been fun. This was so fun. And I'm so happy that you agreed to do this. And you were such an amazing guest. Great insights. And uh, brought your, you know, Drew sarcasm to this podcast. And that is always appreciated. Well, if your listening numbers don't double after this, then I got to come back on. Yeah. <laughs> please subscribe to the Lessons from Sweet Valley podcast on iTunes and uh, please leave us a review or rating. This helps people out there find the podcast. Also, please like our Facebook page to get updates and more information about episodes when they are released. Thanks again yeah. for listening and see you for book eight heartbreaker it looks like jessica is back to her old tricks surprise surprise